0: Praise the Lord, open your Bible in Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, I uh, felt this last week and this week to uh, share with you just concerning eternal destiny, our destinations, where we will go. It's quite good that we know where we'll go and why we're going to get there. And then when, uh, and then uh, you are able to give a clear answer. Because an awful lot of people think, well, somehow it just all works out just fine and dandy. Somehow it all just works out, doesn't matter what you believe, no matter how you live your life, it's just all going to somehow work out okay, just fine. called universalism, everyone gets there, we don't have to worry too much. And of course when that seductive uh, uh, spirit comes around our minds and hearts, we lose the awareness that eternal destiny is important. And so I want to pick that up and follow through again and, and raise, uh, just carry on. Last week we saw about the rich man and bad place he ended up. I want to pick that up and uh, just go back to those who weren't here and then have a look where the other fellow ended up. It was a much better place. I know where I'd prefer to be. Okay then, here in verse, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through to 10. By grace have you been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It is the gift of God. How are we saved? By grace, the power of God, through faith. Through faith. Through faith. No works. No works. No works. Are there any works in getting saved? No, no. We believe. We believe and we receive a gift. If it's a gift, it means we didn't earn it, we didn't work for it, it was given. The moment you have to work for it, it's not given. It's pay, something you earned. You know the difference? So, our salvation is a gift of God. You are saved as a gift. You start to ask people, well, how do you know? Where do you know where you're going to go? How do you know you're going to get there? And you ask the question, what will it take to get to heaven? What will it take to get into eternal life? If people begin to talk about what they're doing, you know then they're definitely on a wrong track. Because the Bible says, by faith, it's a gift no works. We just need to keep that because where I'm going to go today, we're going to start to look at works. In Ephesians 2 verses 10, it says, now we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared before we would walk in them. So you notice three things in this. Number one, it tells us how we are established in eternal life, a gift by faith, no works. Then it says, we are his workmanship, God's shaping us, changing us shaping us to become like his son, to reflect the life of his son, to express that life of his son. And he has called every one of us to do something with our life. And we call that our purpose. Why we're here. Your destiny, where you're going, your purpose, why you're here, what you should be doing with your life. And they are intertwined. And uh, so we uh, see that we are saved uh, by believing But then, as a result of believing, there needs to be a change in our life. It deeply concerns me that the Western church has what I would call an add-on God. I can have all the benefits of eternal life, but I don't have to actually live a lifestyle that honors God. And I think you'll find there's some big shocks up ahead for many people. Big shocks. I want us to just uh, have a look. We're going to Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to pick up where we were last week. I want to just take it further this week, Matthew chapter 25, and uh, Jesus made it clear, now this is Jesus teaching, and he made it very clear, there are two eternal destinations, in verse 46, he's talking about the sheep and the goats, or the separation of those who walk with him, those who do not, these will go away into everlasting punishment, that's one eternal destiny, everlasting, notice it's everlasting, age-lasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life, Verse 41, He will say to those on the left, Apart from me you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So Jesus made it very clear, there are two eternal destinations. An eternal destination in heaven, or in a place of glory, a place with him, there's also another eternal destination. Within five minutes after death, there are many things you will know that you may not have known while you were on the earth, but they'll be all clear. Death is not the end of your existence, death is the stepping into eternity. And as you step into eternity, many, many things become clear. I wrote down a few things that would become clear. First of all, for the atheist, he would know that there is a God. At that point, suddenly he would know that there is a God, and all that he believed all his life was wrong. Uh, For the person who spent all their life accumulating a lot of money, they would realize the money that could buy so much in life can buy them nothing in eternity. And if they haven't sowed and laid up treasure in heaven, then their money has counted for nothing. Another thing that people would know is that Jesus is the way, the only way. What a shock for people who have been in all kinds of religions to discover that Jesus is, after all, the one and the only way. And for those who find this Christian teaching extremely offensive and have little tolerance for Christians making the statement, they also will have their eyes open and immediately be aware there is only one way. God has made that way. Jesus said, I am the way. There is no other religion, no other way. There is no other way. Uh, Another thing that people would realize, if people have put off making a decision to serve Christ, they will find they've put it off too long, one day too long, and then suddenly they will be aware they can never have a chance to make a decision again. You see, these are things you need to think about. See, those who followed spirit guides would discover their spirit guides indeed were actually deceiving demons, and now they'll be thrust into an eternal uh, destruction with them. Those who've been going to church and being good people but never actually made a personal response to Christ will find that going to church and doing good was not enough to get them saved. None of these things get a person saved. Those who believe they would get another chance, that somehow they'd be reincarnated, they would suddenly find to their horror, there is no second chance, there is no choice. Now, as they exit this life, As they go into the next life, into the age-lasting, eternal life, there are no more choices. It's just you reap the consequence of your decisions in life. So our choices are all ours to make, but the consequences of them shape our destiny eternally. How important it is our friends and loved ones come to know Jesus Christ. How important it is. The thing that we will find that the person who has lived their life without God and says, well, I don't need God. God and church are for weak people, for people who are needy. That person who lived their life without God will live it forever without God and without friends and without anything except regrets. So a tremendous thing within five minutes of death what people would realize. While the people on the earth are wandering around and just suddenly realize the person's died and they're called the undertaker and they're grieving, that person already will be aware of all of these things. While a nice funeral is, a service is held in a church and people are saying wonderful things, that person will already be in the place of their eternal appointment. That's the truth. That's the truth. I find it always takes me a lot of grace and wisdom to take funerals where you know there's a grave uncertainty about a person's eternal future. Very, very. These are things we need to. They're weighty matters. And you say, oh, I don't worry. It's because you're not thinking about it. But then suddenly your friend's just killed in an accident. There it is. It's all over and you see him and there it is. He has no more choices. He's made his choices. Now his eternity is set. See, this life is where we make choices. Eternity, uh, this life and eternity, we reap them. I want to just go into Luke chapter 16 where we were last week. And uh, Luke chapter 16, we want to go through a teaching of Jesus I want to pick it up again. Let's pick it up in Luke 16, verse 19. I'll read it out, and uh, we won't go through all of it. We'll pick up a different aspect to last week. Now, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and he ate well every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring earnestly to be fed with crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Obviously, he didn't get any. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And so it was when the beggar died. He was carried by the angels. Notice this. Carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. No, No angels. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, "Father Abraham, have mercy on me, send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool, in water and cool my tongue. I am tormented in this flame." And Abraham said, "Son, remember that in your lifetime you received the good things; likewise, Lazarus, evil things. Now he is comforted, you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed." So those who want to pass from here to you cannot, and nor can those from there pass to us. And he said, "I beg you, therefore, Father, you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment." Notice, it's a place. Abraham said to him, "If they have Moses, if they have Moses and the prophets; let them listen to the him them." And he said, "No, Father if one of them goes from one of them, uh, if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent." And he said, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded that one rose from the dead. So we notice now several things about this. So the first thing we see here is the unbeliever will be in a place of torment. Verse 24, I am tormented in this flame. Notice he's completely aware of his condition. uh, He is is, uh, still in existence as a spirit man in the soul. The true inner man is there. And he he recognizes uh, 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 Abraham. He recognizes Lazarus. He has his memories, his thoughts, his eyes, ears. These are spiritual eyes, spiritual ears, a spiritual tongue. In fact, all that's happened is he's come out of the tent he lived in, and he's now still the same person, but now he is in another place. So when you die, you will just exit the body you're in, the tent you're in, temporary dwelling place you're in. You'll exit that and go immediately into eternity into one of two places. And this man who was an unbeliever was in a place of torment. We we understand he was not in hell because he was rich. There are many rich people in the Bible. He was in this place of torment because he had never repented. I'll touch on that again in a moment. He was aware, notice this, he's aware that there's a need for repentance to avoid that place. And he's very concerned that his brothers had not repented. Notice this. He had no argument about the justice of him being there. He had no request that he be allowed out of there. He never argued that it wasn't fair. And the reason he never argued about getting out was because he'd had an encounter with the just judge And he realized that in the justice of God, this was the correct place for him to be for eternity. So he had no argument about God's justice in consigning him to that place. As we saw last Sunday night, God longs for and yearns for and loves the sinner and will do all that he can to rescue a person before they go to that place. He will do all that he can. And you see, you notice here that this man uh, must have faced judgment at some point in hebrews 9 verse 27 it tells us it is appointed to man once to die and after that judgment judgment means we face the just judge of the earth and then we're called to account for our life and uh no one escapes that you have an appointment with death and an appointment with the just judge of all the earth none of us can get out of it you might be able to cancel a dentist appointment you can't cancel that one The worst part of it, at least I know when the dentist's appointment's coming up. With this one, you never got an idea when it's coming up. It comes up when we have fulfilled our purpose on the earth. Unless we walk away from God and we can sometimes, our appointment comes up earlier than it should have come. Okay, notice here that the believer, though, is in a different place. It says here uh, of Lazarus, and we'll talk more about him now. It says Lazarus, and it says he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Oh, that sounds a good place to be. So the believer actually will be in heaven. We'll show you several scriptures on that. Again, we touched on this last week, so I won't do that too much. But uh, the beggar died, and he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. So Abraham, of course, is significant here. The man recognized Abraham. Notice in the story here, this is not a parable, because Jesus identifies the man by name, Lazarus. So we know it's a real man, and this man is in this place now. Just like the rich man, unknown who he is, he's in his place right now still there, still there, we'll be tomorrow, next year, year after, long after we've gone from this earth, he'll still be there, and and, uh, Lazarus was in Abraham's bosom, so when the Bible's talking about Abraham's bosom, you understand Abraham was the father of all believers, so he was the, even in the Muslim nations, they recognize that, and uh, so Abraham was the father of all believers, He's the father of those who believe. So notice in Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 to 9, it says, only those uh, uh, who, who believe can call other sons of Abraham. See? So Abraham is the father of faith. Everywhere you see in the Bible, Abraham is put forward as the model of a believer, a man who was declared right before God because he believed. And all people who believe and trust in Jesus Christ are called children of Abraham by their faith in Jesus Christ. So he called Abraham, Abraham's father. So to be in Abraham's bosom was to be intimately connected with Abraham where Abraham was. And so clearly, if any man's going to be in a good place, it was Abraham. And so Abraham was in a place called paradise. Notice several scriptures, we raised them last week, so I won't go through again. It tells about this place, Hades. And Hades divided into two places, the place of torment, a great chasm, and then a place called paradise or Abraham's bosom. Remember the scriptures we saw last week that uh, Jesus said in Matthew 23, 43, after his death, he said to the thief on the cross, he said, today you will be with me in paradise or the garden of pleasure, the garden uh, where God is, is present. So he's referring to today, he's talking to the thief dying on the cross Straight after Jesus' death, he went down into this place, Hades, and he went to the part called Paradise, or Abraham's bosom. And there, he had a tremendous welcome. Every person who had believed from the days of Adam right through to that day was waiting there for that day. And there would have been a tremendous shout of victory and joy that the eternal God who created heaven and earth now had come personally into this place called Abraham's bosom or paradise to meet with them and talk with them. What an amazing meeting. The spirits of just men meeting with the eternal God. What an amazing meeting. Knowing that many of them had prophesied of his coming into the earth. Many had prophesied of his suffering. Many had prophesied of his death and resurrection. And now here he is with Elijah and Abraham and Samson and all the great men of God, all the believers who were there in that place waiting for that day. And there he was. And they were waiting for his resurrection because the Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross, the earth shook and there was a darkness came over the earth. And then God took the the temple curtain and ripped it from top to bottom and shook the earth so much. There was such great power released when Jesus died on the cross, and there was such great power release, that the graves broke open. And it says, after Jesus rose from the dead... Many of the saints arose also and walked through the city of God. Oh, can you imagine it? Abraham walking through Jerusalem and Moses walking through Jerusalem and Elijah and Elisha, all of these men walking one last glimpse of the city they had once ministered in. Some of them had been stoned to death in that city. This was the city they had a burden for and there they had one last chance to look around it before they ascend with Jesus, triumphant into heaven itself which is now the paradise of God. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, chapter 12, verses 2 through to 4, I was caught up into the third heaven where God dwells. I was caught up into paradise. I saw things I can't even talk about. What an amazing, amazing, amazing event. In Ephesians 4, it says, He took captivity captive. He ascended into heaven, and He took with Him a first fruits company out of the earth. Men out of every generation that have believed came into the gates of heaven with them. What a great thing. Oh glory to God. Hallelujah. The psalmist prophesied of it. David prophesied of it. He says, Open up lift up ye heads, you everlasting gates. Be lifted up you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. He's prophesying of Jesus rising from the dead and now is the king of glory re-entering heaven. Having come to earth as a man, conquered sin and death, now rising and going into heaven and he's got a first fruits company, men and women of every age who believed, and now they're on their way to God's destination. Oh, hallelujah. Lift up you heads, O ye everlasting gates. Be lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. And then it says, and they answer from heaven, "Who is this King of Glory?" And the reply, "The Lord of Hosts is His name, the Lord of Glory." And Jesus ascended into heaven with believers of every age. And at that time, then Hades was plundered; those who were in this place called Abraham's bosom were all emptied out. Now there's only one group of people there; there forever, there till the day of judgment when They'll be reunited and resurrected and put into a, a body again. And then they live in that body in eternal fire. Hey, this is eternal destinations. This is reality. This is reality. It says, the God of this world has blinded those who do not believe. Or well, in other words, put smoke around them so they can't see clearly what the issues are. Lest the light of the gospel, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ should shine into their hearts and they should believe. Man, we need to get a passion to see people saved. Passion for them to go where we're going. Hallelujah. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. You and I can access that realm. We can, by faith, enter in in our spirit into the heavenly city and begin to engage with God. Oh, I tell you, what a privilege. Man, when we get into a place of worshiping God and praising God, these services are not long enough for what we need to be able to do, to be able to injure in our spirit and engage the living God. What a great privilege you and I have. We need to learn how to do it and how to deal with the things that stop us connecting with God. We can have a touch of heaven, and then we can bring heaven into earth, which is our mission. This is the purpose he put us here. Be connected to heaven and bring it into the earth. Oh, we're going to get on more on that bringing heaven into earth. Hallelujah. Okay, now have a look at this in verse uh, 22 again. So the beggar died and he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Notice what happened to him. But the rich man, it doesn't mention anything about angels. He was carried by the angels. Angels, the Bible says in Hebrews, are ministering spirits. What an amazing thing when a believer dies. How many people stress or worry about dying, but I've watched many, many people die. And it's an interesting thing to watch a believer die. And you feel the presence of God there. You see their eyes alive. I can remember when Florence Steele was dying. I was there when she breathed her last breath. And, you know, people would come to feel sorry for her because she's dying of cancer. But you'd go in there and feel the presence of God. You'd come out and feel, man, I'm the one who needs the help. She's full of the glory in the presence of God. And just as she died, as, as she slipped out of e- uh, uh, this life and into eternity, there was a great joy and a great presence. Oh, hallelujah. Why? Because she's about to encounter angels who will escort her personally to the presence of the king who loved her and died on the cross to save her. And it'll be the same for you and the same for me. We do not have to fear death. Jesus came to deliver us from the of death. You don't have to worry about dying and being afraid of dying or what might happen. The Bible says precious in the eyes of the Lord are the death of his saints. It's a great day for him. You're about to be promoted. You're about to come to where you've been sowing your life all this time. You're about to enter that place and enter into what you've sowed for eternity oh it's a glorious thing a that's, that's why churches we can it's sad when when people die and we do need to grieve and not be unreal about it there's a great loss there's a great loss for the living for the one who's dead they're now face to face with the living god oh the one that paul said oh you know he said i i he said i'd rather go and be with the lord he said, It's more profitable to stay here because I've got a job, I've got a purpose to fulfill. Huh? So believers don't have to be worried. Mate, what a way to go! <laughs> Glory! Straight out and into heaven. Remember one guy, they were threatening to shoot him at the, uh, and one of them, and the guys, one of the Christian pastors in, in Indonesia. They were threatening to shoot him. Renounce Christ! I will kill you! He said, You're threatening me with heaven! great isn't it glory to God so he's carried by the angels carried he was carried by the angels the angels carried him or he was gathered by the angels escorted into heaven in Genesis 25 verses 8 and verse 17 says in verse 8 Abraham died and was gathered you find in the Bible it talks very much in the Old Testament that when the Saints died they were gathered they were escorted I believe they're escorted by angels escorted to the Lord that they have served. Isn't that amazing? Oh, what a... You see, we're not to be afraid of death. That's what it will mean for us. That at that moment of death, as we depart from our body, angels, we suddenly see them. I know they're here. I don't see them. My children have seen them. People here say, I don't see them. I feel their presence. But oh, then you'll see them clearly. And they'll escort you they'll be glad to see you take you to the audience of a king you have a chance to meet with the king of kings this is our destiny oh and so life is so short we've got an opportunity to serve him and prepare for that great and wonderful day talk a bit more about that as we get there In Job 27 of verse 19 to 22 it says the rich man lies down but he's not gathered up now it's not just he's a rich man he's talking about the wicked man It's got nothing to do with your rich or poor. It has to do with the man who lived their life without God. Problem with riches is not in the riches themselves, but the tendency for us to trust them rather than trust the living God. And so it says the rich man laid out and and he was not gathered. In fact, he is carried before the king of terrors. So there's a huge difference between a saint dying and an unsaved person dying. I've even seen it in their bodies. They've died. You've seen the, the struggle over this whole issue. See, so, so both of them, now here's the thing, both of them ended up in a different place, but between dying and ending up in that place, someone they must have met that made the decision where they were going. They had to have an encounter with the living God that sealed forever where they would be. I want to have a look at that a little bit. We're not going to go too far down that, but it's, you need to see this, that this is, very, Jesus talked about this a lot, you see. And although I spent a bit of time on hell last week, I don't want to just spend all my time there. Now, here's the thing. Why was, why was, here's the first thing, sir. Why was Lazarus in heaven? See, what, he wasn't in heaven because he's a poor man. Poor people don't have any edge on a rich person. Rich, rich or poor make no difference. See, it doesn't matter. In Exodus 30 and verse 14 and 15, it says, In the Old Testament, they had to pay a piece of atonement money. Atonement meant to cover. It was a covering for your soul, a covering for the sins you committed that year. And you paid this certain silver coin every year. But it was the same amount whether you were rich or poor. Picturing in the Old Testament that salvation is the same for the rich and for the poor. And we saw it in Ephesians 2. For by grace are you saved through faith without works. It's the same. So why was he there in heaven? Faith. He had to have had faith. There had to be faith in his life. He would not have been there without faith. Abraham was a man of faith, and he was there with a the man of faith. Here's the second thing. His name, Lazarus, means God is my helper. God is my helper. And prophetically in the Bible, usually the names describe what the person is like. So in saying that's what his name was, God is saying very, Jesus saying very clearly, this man, God was his helper. He was known by God. See, this man, Jesus knew his name. Jesus knew his name. Now, you understand this. If God knows, it's one thing for you to know someone. It's another thing for them to know you. See, I know Helen Clark, but she doesn't know me. So can I say that I know her? No. All I know is know about her. So you can know know about Jesus. But if Jesus doesn't know you, you're in trouble. When it comes to salvation, you're in trouble if he doesn't know you. And this man, the rich man, he was unknown. That's why he's called a rich man. Lazarus was known by name. He was known by name. He was known by name. This is what it says in Luke 13, verse 22 to 28. He says, he will arise and say to you, he said, I didn't know you. Now they said, this is what they were saying. They were saying, but Lord, you you know, you, you were teaching in our streets. We were there. We were hanging out with you. We were in your presence and we heard your teaching and we got inspired by your meetings and stuff. It was wonderful. He said, I don't know you. What is he saying here? He's saying it's not enough to just enjoy being in the presence of God. It's not enough to enjoy great meetings or great teachings or anything like that. You must make a personal response. It's the personal response that God is looking for. He wants us to have a personal relationship. That's what he's designed us for. So he said, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. Or putting it another way, he says... I do not acknowledge you because you lived your life doing what you wanted to do. That's what he says. That's why he said, I don't know you. In in Matthew chapter 7, he says a similar thing. Verse 24, he said, well, Lord, we did these things in your name. That means they had to be believers in Christ. He said, I don't know you. You just were totally independent people doing your own thing. And I honored the works because it was done in my name. But in terms of relationship, I don't know you. I don't recognize you as belonging to me in an intimate relationship with me. Quite serious stuff, isn't it, eh? So, you notice this in 2 uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. It tells us this word. It says, now the Lord knows those who are his... But let everyone who know, names the name of the Lord. Now, do you name the name of the Lord? Do you call yourself a Christian? Do you call yourself a Christian? Well, the Bible says, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Depart from doing your own thing. Like you did before you got saved, except the bad stuff's gone. God is looking for a life of relationship, intimacy, of partnership with him. It's one thing to say, Jesus, I receive you as my savior. It's another thing to actually open my life and the way I live my life to become a partner with him to accomplish what he wants to do. And that's what he's looking for. He wants more than just to get us to heaven. He wants to do something through our lives in the earth. That's why we're made. So if we say, well, I got my little bit of church and I got my little bit of Jesus, I got enough to get me to heaven. Listen, you are falling short of what God has planned because God has planned that we express his life, advance his kingdom in the earth. We're all called to be advances of the kingdom of God without exception. Everyone is called to be part of a body called the Church of the Living God and then to express the life of the head into the community. Without exception. And if people look at your life and they say, I don't see anything different in the way you run your life from the way people who don't call themselves Christian run their life, you're probably in deep trouble. Because something's missing. It's the intimacy. It's the flow. It's God working in you. And that's what he wants to do. That's what he wants to do. Now, here's the most wonderful thing. Uh, The great thing is we're saved not by works. I'm glad of that. As we'll keep reminding you, not by works. We're saved by trusting. Just keep remembering that. But the works bit is important. Let's quickly go to a couple of things. I want to pick up in Luke 16 Verse 30. Father Abraham, if someone goes from the dead, they will repent. Now notice this, the rich man was aware he needed to repent. Repentance is a change of mind and heart and attitude towards living a life without God. Repentance is to turn away from living my life to please myself. It's turning towards the living God to begin to live a life in partnership with Him. Relationship with Him. Intimacy with Him, hearing from Him, talking my life with Him, receiving direction, praying over my life and the matters of my life with Him. That's what He's looking for. That's what repentance is. Jesus said in Matthew 4, uh, about verse 19 or 17, He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you want access into kingdom's dimensions, if you want access into the eternal realm, you've got to repent. You can't have it. You can't have your cake and eat it is what He's saying. You can't have your cake and eat it well. In other words, if we want access to the life of intimacy with God, there's got to be a disagreement with the things that God hates. We've got to decide we're against them too. We're against them as well. We're going to turn with the Lord, see? Notice what Jesus came down and began to talk to his disciples straight after. Look, just keep seeing the, in, the, in the Bible, they have no chapter heading. So you watch this. He goes on. He's talking about hell and, the man's all, and why the man's there because he never repented. Now, look, get, get this. Then he said to the disciples, it's impossible that offenses shouldn't come, but woe to him through whom they come. It'd be better for him if a millstone was around his neck. Verse 3, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. I want you to circle the word if. If, if he repents, forgive me, he sins against you lots of times, then you, rep- and he repents, you forgive him. Now I want you to see something in here. Do you notice that forgiveness is conditional? See, this is a thing where a lot of Christians really need sharpening up in our thinking. We tend to embrace in the West what's called a cheap Grace. Well, God's just so good. And God understands my weakness. And, you know, God will forgive me. Now listen to what the Bible says. Now he's talking about now human relationships. If Rob does something against me that offends me, should I forgive him? If he repents. In other words, the Bible says what I should do, he said I should go to him, And I should confront him over the sin. That word confront means literally to place value on him. I should place value on him by establishing clearly what has breached our relationship and invite him into a place of apologizing and turning away from it so we can be reconciled. If I forgive him and he has not even repented at all, I'm just making this thing as though it didn't, wasn't anything. I'm, I'm considering his sin as though it was nothing, but it was something. And it needs to be faced, needs to be owned. I, I'm willing to forgive, but for forgiveness to take place, he must repent. And if he won't acknowledge his sin, and won't repent of his sin, it stands. Simple as that. Now, Jesus said this about human relationships, how much more about the relationship with God? Now, when Jesus died on the cross, did he die for all the sins of the world? Did he offer forgiveness to every person? Then, what is needed for it to take place? We must do something. We must repent of sin and believe what Jesus has done. No repentance, no salvation, no forgiveness. Well, think about that. You see, because Christians often get a weak, wishy thing on this thing. And, and what happens, we get what's called a cheap grace, a very cheap grace, where it's okay, like, oh, well, forgiveness is just given. It's unconditional forgiveness. Listen, there's no such thing. Jesus' forgiveness is entirely conditional. It's conditional on repentance, acknowledgement of the sin and a heartfelt turning from it. And if we keep falling and heartfelt turn from it, he will keep forgiving but if we won't acknowledge it, then the sin remains. And what happens is a lot of people cannot enjoy walking with God and can't even enjoy relationships because we we don't actually recognize. We've got this cheap grace that it's okay. They'll understand or God will understand. Whereas really the reality is we have to face the issue and deal with it by putting it right. Sometimes when we've sinned, we have to make restitution. And so if someone sins, you you get a person who's been sexually abused by someone and then give them some silly advice like you've got to forgive. You know what? They will just want to kill you. They will just want to kill you. And the reason they will is because you will arouse all the sense of injustice that they carry by that statement. Because what you're saying is the offense was nothing. And they, they rise with indignation, saying, You can't treat me that way. They hurt me and violated me. There needs to be an acknowledgement of this thing. And when there's an acknowledgement with a heart to be restored, then it can be forgiven. Come on now. That's why the, that's what repentance is all about. And what happens? You try and build relationships with no repentance, you can't do it. The sin remains sin remains. And it remains until we acknowledge and say, honey, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? It remains. And you see, so the thing is about forgiveness. Forgiveness is something we offer to people. We forgive as Christ forgave us. Is that right? How did he forgive us? He required us to acknowledge we're a sinner and to repent of our sin. Then he forgives us. So how do we forgive others? As Christ, as Christ forgave us. as he, Just the same way. When they acknowledge their sin, then we can forgive them. So to be reconciled costs something. The sinner has to humble himself and admit their sin. The person who's been sinned against needs to have grace and be willing to withhold judgment and forgive. That's how it works. You get that straight, and you'll stop putting up with a lot of nonsense. See, people want their cake and want to eat their so They want to be able to sin and hurt and violate relationships, and then think the relationship should be, you should still love them? Yes, I will love you. I'll tell you something. I'll tell you what I think. And I'll tell you what I feel. And I'll tell you why I'll have nothing to do with you. Come on. That is love. Jesus loved the world, but he did not entrust himself to people who refused to deal with heart issues. Intimacy has a price, and you cannot compromise in this area. We can't compromise in this area. And so what happens is we try to, you know, forgiveness is always offered. We are called to be ministers of reconciliation to release people's offenses, but there is a part of it that's required, and that is that's called repentance. The person has to take ownership of the sin and the failure, acknowledge their part, not everything, but just their part, and then express regret and seek forgiveness. Then forgiveness is released and reconciliation takes place. It's absolutely beautiful. And I've been in meetings where this has happened. And, you know, you can feel God so there because we never said to the person who was abused, this doesn't matter. You just got to forgive and get over it. Get over it. Well, I'm sorry doesn't cut it. Because not only do we not get over it, we put it aside and then it remains there as something in the spirit world that the devil uses to control and access relationships and create hurts and divisions. You have to deal with things in a biblical way. This is the biblical way. Without repentance, God commands all men everywhere to repent. There's no shortcut. No shortcut to get into heaven, to get into eternal destiny. The foundation is repentance of sin and faith towards God. That's how it happens. And then when we get in there, we find that there's something. I'm just about run out of time for today. What a shame! I had all these things I wanted to do. Anyway, let me just leave a statement for you. Leave a statement. In heaven, not everyone is at the same level. If God is a just judge, He must ensure that people who are more wicked on the earth have greater punishment in eternity. And he must ensure that people who served God on the earth faithfully are rewarded for all eternity in a way that distinguishes them from the one who didn't. In Matthew chapter 16, at the end of that, and verse 27, Jesus said, I come and my reward is with me to give to each man according to his work. Okay, think about this. That word reward is, it's the word mythos from which we get the word you pay. At the end of the week, you turn up, you get paid. You get paid because you did work. No work, no pay. Simple as that. So Jesus said, I come and my reward. I have a reward. I have something to give to acknowledge what you did on my behalf in the earth. If you have walked in partnership with me, fulfilling the purpose I had for you, I want to acknowledge it through all eternity. I want people to see that I am a just God. So he said, "Lo, I come, and my reward is with me to go every or to give each man, each man, according to his work, what you do with your life once you 've come to Christ qualifies you for a reward that is eternal in its dimensions. The Bible tells us very clearly, there are many believers who barely scrape in the gates of heaven. They have an encounter with the Lord. They look back over their life. And he is glad to see them and we are glad to see him. But in that moment of meeting and moment of encounter where we appear before him, all that we have done since we've been a believer is laid out in front of us. What we did before we were a believer, well, that was covered by the blood. Now we have a new life as a believer and it's laid out like a great movie thing. And he evaluates every part of it. Not so that he can punish us but so he can qualify us for reward for eternity. That's why I live my life like I do. Because I have this great sense that what he has will last for eternity. That's why Jesus said lay up treasure in heaven. It must be possible to get something that's called treasure in heaven. And you could have more of it or less of it. And it's up to you how you run your life. Jesus said, lay up treasure. Invest your life in such a way that as you enter into eternity, it's an abundant entrance and not just a scraping in the door. And boy, I got there, but I qualify for nothing for eternity except to live in this place called heaven. In heaven, people sit on thrones and they rule over and share in God's creation, working with them in creative ways in the eternities to come. And others enjoy being there and enjoy a wonderful life. But always they'll know they could have been in a different place. A place of greater responsibility. You know, one of the things about that makes Jesus makes it very clear. He said, when we serve him faithfully, we qualify for greater responsibility. We qualify for more. Now, does that mean you have to be a preacher? No. If you decide you're going to become a preacher in a full-time full-time minister for some kind of thing, and God never called you to it, you've missed the boat. Every believer is a full-time servant of the Lord, called by God to fulfill a purpose for which he will reward us for eternity. So you think now what you're going through is a little difficult. Listen, you think it may not be seen. Oh, God is watching. He's watching. He's watching. He's watching. He's watching that saint in the home. He's watching that person that prays. He's watching that mother. He's watching that young child. He's watching you when no one else is watching you. He's seeing the little things you do. He watches how you do it, why you do it. He watches your heart attitude to him in it. He watches how you handle the disappointments. He, wa- he watches the motivation, why you're doing it. He's watching it all. And then as it's all played back, he says, well done, good and faithful sir. Enter into the joy of the Lord and into that which I prepared for you from the foundation of the earth. Father in heaven, we just thank you for such a great call.